Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez. With me, Arif Dean of Mile High Sports and Peter Ball of TheAthletic.com. Of course, it's a Sunday episode, one of our big episodes. But not only that, it's our 200th episode. So big reason to celebrate, Arif. Hooray. Uh, it's wild. But unfortunately, I've got terrible news. This podcast is going to be postponed due to a water main break. So uh, <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm drowning over here, so I'm going to let you guys take over while I find my floaties. Uh, no, just silly stuff coming out of Nashville, right? I guess that, that hit us all by surprise uh, Thursday morning, and uh, we're waiting for a noon game. But I don't know. It just made me think uh, it has to be something we've seen before in the NHL because all that ice, all that water, all that cooling equipment, there has to be some sort of mishap like this before. But I don't really, really remember seeing anything like this. Nope, we were so close to a full season of no cancellations, but lo and behold, leave it to going to Nashville to have issues, just like last year when like seven guys got COVID five minutes before puck drop. So uh, here we are again, JJ, your magnets are once again irrelevant and outdated because there's a game on there that did not happen. We got to invent a digital magnet or something like that. Um, but uh, no, I, I think that that was a bummer because, you know, the uh, Avalanche were coming off a loss to Vancouver from Wednesday night and heading into Nashville could have been a nice little uh, way to get back on track. They were able to do it anyway against Dallas. But, you know, I feel, feel like the Avalanche match up so well against Nashville. It was a bit disappointing to not get that game. Jump on in, Peter. Let's get you in here. Yeah, I uh, I was looking <laughs> forward to watching some hockey, but yeah, the the water water pipes had had other ideas. And if you, you look back at the last few games in Nashville, you had this past one postponed because of a water main break game four of the first round, nothing crazy happened game three of the first round. Darcy Kemper almost gets his eye poked out. Um, that the last regular season game in Nashville, there was a too many men call that was really controversial and the players were <laughs> furious about. And then the one before that, a bazillion players got COVID right before the game. Just, just great. I, I can't believe you remembered that too many men. I'm, I'm remembering it now, and holy shit, that was something. Well, the funny thing is with that is the parallel of the through line of that happens in January, and then there's an overtime in the Stanley Cup final where there's a too many men potentially <laughs> not called that goes in the app's favor. Oh, man. Yeah, so Nashville not not too friendly with the Avalanche, but I gotta imagine there's there's a lot worse cities you can get stranded in. I wonder if you're the Avalanche, if, if they had a, a team discussion and they say, "Hey, boys, do we want to spend the afternoon here in Nashville, or do we want to hurry up and get the quickest plane out of here?" I, I'd imagine Nashville's not an awful place to just say, "Hey, let's let's hang around for lunch." My guess is they probably headed out fairly quickly. I mean, they're yeah. not exactly waiting for commercial flights; they've got their own. That's true, and also. Plane. I mean, you're also playing the next day. So how, how crazy do you really want to get in Nashville if you have a game the very next night? So it kind of did help them to have the extra night off, I would say. But, you know, it solves the question of what were they going to do with the goalie situation because they went with Frankie in Vancouver. And then you had these two games where you're like, are you going to play Georgie twice? Are you going to go back to Frankie? So we don't have to have any of that discussion. Bedner and his staff didn't have to have that discussion. They played one game. They won it against a good team. Yeah, and it also made what was going to be a four-game week into a thir- three-game week, and they uh, did pretty decently beating the Dallas Stars twice. The, the Central Division leading Dallas Stars, I might add. Of course, Avs have some games in hand, um, but lose to the Vancouver Canucks in the last week. But let's focus on the wins for right now. I mean, we've been talking era for a while how the Avalanche just continue to put wins together. And, you know, you asked Jared Bednar a question after yesterday's game. Uh, just simply, how are you guys doing this right now? How, how do you feel like you're putting wins together despite all the adversity. And he kind of just hit you with an, I don't know, followed by a long, <laughs> thorough, well, well thought out answer. But um, yeah, I guess let's get to that, that question to you guys. What do you guys think is going so well for the avalanche right now that they're still finding ways to win despite, you know, having five, six guys that probably shouldn't even be in the lineup. Well, they have two of the top 10 forwards in the league. Uh, and then, two of the top 10 defensemen in the league and a goalie who's playing super, super well and still have a, a lot of decent players. So yes, it is a surprising, it is surprising maybe how well they're doing, but this is a team that has a lot of good players, even while they're banged up. Maybe you're relying on the comfort um, 
the comfort line a little more than you would normally. Maybe um, you're not able to roll four lines like you want to, but but it's still a team with a deep defensive group and and good players up front. So I think that's kind of the answer is they're just still, they're still a very good team and they're going to get better when they get healthier. The biggest difference for me, um, because again, the only thing we have to compare it to is years past. And there was that tweet that Brendan from the Avs put out before the game yesterday against Dallas, where they have had the same record through 18 games. Now, three seasons in a row, 11, six and one every single year. And in 2019, 20, or the year before that, 2018-19, they were 10-5-2 and two, or 11-5-2. and two. So they were like right there with almost the same record. The difference for me this year is the goalie. It's, it's Alexander Georgiev because last year when Darcy Kemper needed a month or two to get up to speed and obviously Frankie wasn't around yet, it was uh, the backup was Johansson and just the whole mess of goalies. I barely saw any playing time. Uh, the Avalanche were able to outscore their problems, which was letting their starting goalie get up to speed. Well, now I think before the Vancouver game, they hit the under like six games in a row. It's not a lot of goals going in in any of these games, yet it's their goalie who has a 933 save percentage, I want to say, who who has been the difference. Nathan McKinnon's putting up points at a relatively similar pace. pace. Granted, last year he was injured in November. Kale McCarr is doing his Kale McCarr thing. Arturi Lekkinen obviously is a new acquisition, but just under a point per game, very similar to like that Burakovsky Kadri type of uh, uh performance that you had last year the pro- pro- productivity i should say devon taves is doing his thing ej manson these guys the difference for me is the guy in net who's stopping more pucks and making more saves than what they had last year in october november i mean you ask him uh alexander Georgiev, that is and and he'll credit the defense in front of you right and i'm, I'm with you he's been phenomenal and um i hope the murmurs start coming around about uh, p- potential Vesna candidacy there for Georgiev. But if you ask him, he'll credit the defensive structure in front of him. And if you ask me, I'll, I'll credit that to coaching, right? I mean, you talk about the consistency in their record in the last couple of years. I credit that to coaching. You, you talk to Jared Bednar after a win, after a loss, he has a high expectation all the time and he makes it clear to his players. I mean, how many times have we heard how little he liked somebody's execution or they weren't hitting enough. And even in wins and even uh, through games that they've played well, Jared Bednar keeps that expectation high. So I, I really think uh, he deserves a lot more credit and perhaps he's just somebody that's flying under the radar. We, we like to credit the Nathan McKinnons, the Miko Rantanins and Kale McCars, but the one consistent thing I think over the last few years has been Jared Bednar and his structure and his philosophies. Yeah, he's he's solidified himself as I think one of the the best coaches in the game. He's got a, a cup to his name now, which helps a lot. But and the thing is, is that injuries like a rash of injuries is nothing new for the Avs. I feel like at least since I've been here, both the seasons before this, there have been stretches where they've been down a few guys, and yet they still find ways to to squeak out wins. And like JJ said, that that goes down to comes down to Bednar. I don't know if that means that he's been like robbed of a coach of the year award. That award's tricky because it's like so much of it is Ron the Cooper team. hasn't even had one yet. Yeah, exactly. And he's probably the best coach in the league. I mean, you look at, I, I think it's like the, the year Bednar could have won. It would have been probably 17, 18, but then there was Gallant that year who, who had an amazing year in Vegas. Yeah. So I don't get to, that's one award that I don't really get that worked up about. Cause it's just like, it's always the team that overperforms relative to expectations. So Lindy um, Ruff, anyway. Yeah, yeah, Lindy <laughs> Ruff would make a ton of sense this year. Um, yeah, that's a that's a good call. Um, or maybe Lambert if if the Islanders keep going or something like that. You know, it's we'll see. But regardless, Bednar is. I think that's a great point, JJ, because Bednar really has. I think come into his own. I think he got out coached in the Vegas series two years ago. Um, and I think last year you saw him out coaching people in the playoffs. You saw them playing with the lines, switching Lekkanen to McKinnon and Rantanen's line one night, um, having Landeskog with Nachushkin and Kadri. Like, like he, he was, he was flexible and he, he made the most of a star studded roster and he deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah. And Peter JJ and I actually talked about this last week. The one coach that he's had issues with in, in the past is the guy they beat the other night, Pete DeBoer. Yeah. He he defeated him in 2021. He defeated him in 2019. 
And coincidentally, sandwiched in the middle in 2020 is Dallas that beat yeah. the Avalanche, which he's now coaching for. So the last three times it was either Dallas or DeBoer, the last three series the Avalanche have lost. So honestly, that's one series I would love to see this year. I would love to see the Avalanche go head-to-head with the Dallas Stars because a lot of those guys are still there. The Jamie Benz that that play, that physical edge style of play. Um, the addition of Mason Marchment, man, that that's a young Jamie Ben learning how to be a bigger asshole from Jamie Ben and doing it well. Miro Heiskanen, you know, Jake Ottinger's burst onto the scene. So that's one series I would love to see because that's one hurdle that Jared hasn't had to kind of overcome yet. That would be really cool to see if he can do it is playing against that guy. And granted, I, I would say the 2019 series that DeBoer coached, he had the far more talented team. Very different. Yeah, that and, one. And, that, that one and there been, was the Vegas, the Vegas that, loss. Yeah. That, that one bad. would have been one that if the Avalanche had won that one, it would have been kind of just like extra credit. Like it would not have been 100%. expected. Um, God, that was still the year that Soderberg was pretty much your second line center. What a wild wild evolution this team has gone through over the last five years um but yeah i think i think jared doesn't get enough credit for what he's doing um you know peter you mentioned the three years you've been here tech on an extra year to the year that i've been here the covid season well the first covid season 1920 where they had a rash of injuries leading up to that march 11 pause and i think nemesnikov was playing on the top line with mckinnon and rantanen and then you had no Kadri, or actually Rantanen was out. You had no Kadri, no Berkey, no Grubauer, I want to say. All these injuries, and Frankie was running the show. And then they get all these guys healthy in time for the bubble, only for everybody to get injured again in the Dallas series. So, yeah, like it's the fact that Jarrett's so used to this and able to kind of lean on McKinnon and, and uh, Rantanen and Makar when they're the ones that are healthy this time around is, is pretty wild to me. But to have a goalie with a 933 save percentage is – um, something they haven't had in the past. Even Grubauer's good season, the 920 something, and Kemper was what a 921. It wasn't what Georgiev is giving them right now. Yeah, I know you really want to get into Georgiev conversation. Well, we'll get to it in a second because um, we don't talk about it enough on this podcast, right? But along with the uh, coaching is the power play. We've talked about how much that's been able to hold up the avalanche and keep them propped up and, um, you know, credit to the personnel and the talent that they have on the power play unit. But you still have to credit the coaching there as well because there's constant adjustments they have to make here and there. They're minor and, and they're not crazy. They're not readjusting the entire structure of the power play. But, you know, I think Ray Bennett deserves a nod there too because he's a big piece of that of that power play and the power play is a big piece of their success right now. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think that it's, it's fun watching – JT Comfer is ideally not a person you have on the top power play, but I actually think he's done a really nice job complementing Lackanen and kind of that puck retrieval role. I, I think that they're both grinders and it's kind of fun to watch them work and get the puck back to McKinnon, Ranton, and McCarr. And, and so I think even with Rodriguez out, Comfer is a more than capable fill-in. And, and you're seeing the power play regress back a little bit. I mean, they got off to such a torrid start where they were at like 45 50%, and now you're starting to see them kind of come back towards the rest of the league. And I would expect that'll continue to an extent. They'll have a few games where they don't score a power play goal, but, but yeah, man, when they're whipping the puck around, like it's, it's special to watch. I, I saw one thing, I think AJ from DNVR was, was tweeting about um, how he thinks it, they might be relying too much on McKinnon's slap shot. And I thought that was an interesting point. And I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't mind seeing McCarr shoot more on the power play is one, one thought I have. I wonder how much of that is a, a structural philosophy and how much of that is just Nathan McKinnon pulling the trigger and saying, look, I don't even have that many guys to pass to right now. We need to rely on my shot because I've got a wicked freaking shot. And it's also nice that you need someone who's willing to fire the puck and the abs, the one thing their power play does sometimes do is get too cute. Yeah, for sure. The, the one big thing that I've noticed on the power play, number one, they're making the most of their opportunities and like, Look, look at the Dallas game as a clear example of what I'm about to share right now is 37 seconds into the game, I think it was. Dallas takes a penalty. Nathan McKinnon scores on that power play. You get to the second period. The Stars get five freaking opportunities in a row. They score on one of them. The Avalanche kill off four of them. And the Avalanche win the game and are able to hang around. Obviously, Manson scored. You had a goal from Dryden Hunt, your boy. But, you know, the, the early power play goal was a big difference maker. Uh, which leads me to the stat that the Avalanche right now are 11th, and I talked about this with JJ last week. They're 11th in the league in power play opportunities per game. Not total power play opportunities, because obviously they've played fewer games than a lot of teams, but per game, they're 11th in the league in how many power plays they're drawing per game. 
Last year, they were first. So they're making the most of opportunities, but they're not drawing as many opportunities, which may obviously be a result of the injuries. Maybe you don't have the puck as much. Maybe you're chasing the game with a lot of these other lines, you know. And do you know what it's a result of? What is that? Uh, Number 91 playing for Calgary. I was yes. thinking that too. Yeah. That's, that's, drew yeah. a lot he was of penalties. so good at it. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's one place where you really will start to miss him. But you know, I don't think Martin cow, Alex Newhook, and uh, Dryden Hunter out there drawing penalties as whatever the hell line you want to call that at this point, uh, as much the as third line. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Which, you know, as much as what you had from Kadri playing with Nachushkin and let's say Landeskog who two are injured and one's gone. So, um, with what opportunities they are getting, which 11th is still not bad. It's not no. first though, but with what opportunities they are getting, they're scoring on them, which by the way, the funny part is, and maybe this is an early season thing. Cause I can't compare it to 20 games into last year. They're getting more power play opportunities per game right now, 3.54 than they did last year when they were first at 3.40. Hmm. So there's power plays are up all around the league. Maybe that's an early season thing. We'll see how it looks after 82 games for everybody. Cause you know, it starts to kind of, the refs kind of swallow the whistles as you get closer to the end of the year, but that's also an interesting number. That well, that's a pretty, that's a pretty relevant conversation to have this week too, right? I never love to turn the conversation to referees, but it kind of feels like the referees have given the avalanche a hard time this week. I mean, we saw the Kale McCarr uh, picking incident, right? We saw Josh Manson's no injury, no call. So just a funny week. It's been from, from referees on the avalanche, but Hey, they've been able to overcome, I guess. Yeah, and the Makar one is interesting because the more I watch it, the more he's he's still kind of drifting into the way of of the player coming on. And I think the big thing is is less that they called it there and more just the general consistency with with how that's yeah. called. I think that's probably the big thing there. Because the more I watched it, the more I was like, I don't know if he was standing still at the line. He was kind of still still drifting into the path. So I don't know. I, I don't I'm not a ref I don't those are hard plays I didn't have a massive issue with how the Dallas game was called I thought that maybe the first one Manson took with with Marchment was um maybe Marchment embellished that but like it's hard to blame the ref for that the second one on Manson um was the hold that at the end as Jared said. Yeah. And that was initially, I was kind of like, well, I don't know if that's a penalty, but Bednar's explanation made sense of why he saw it as a penalty. Manson's other penalty was a trip. That was pretty obvious. So like there were a lot of them were the right calls. So I I don't think the ads need to be call it crying. Like what was me necessarily on? uh, And I don't think they are like, I don't think obviously kale kind of had his say, which is fine. um, And I enjoyed, and I think it's good when players kind of speak, their feelings and their mind. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think that it's been like, it's funny, the Vancouver game, a bunch of Vancouver fans were complaining about the penalties that were called and the, and like the goal that was dis or was overturned or whatever. Isn't so it, isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how it works? Everybody always like when you're looking at, look, you're a fan. If you're a fan, you should be looking at things from one side, but when you're looking at it from that side, it's, the refs are out to get us. The NHL is out to get us. We get the bad suspensions. We get the bad calls. And then you ask the Vancouver fans and they feel the same way. You ask the Dallas fans and maybe they're pissed off over something. I don't know. Maybe the Jacob McDonald hit pissed them off for some reason and they're annoyed about that or something. Um, the big thing for me in the Dallas game was obviously the missed call on Josh Manson taking a high stick, which it looked like the ref had a clear view. But like if that gets cold, the penalties are obviously because then Manson doesn't go ahead, go and trip Radic Fax the 30 seconds later. The power plays are four to one Dallas, which if you look at a period where Dallas outshot the avalanche 20 to 10 and kind of controlled play for a lot of it seems pretty reasonable that they would draw four or five power plays. It ended up being five Oh, because of the missed call to Manson. And then the beauty that is hockey and the love of this game that we have where 30 seconds later, Manson takes a penalty when he could have drawn one that was missed. So um, that one was really fascinating. The Makar one, I think. I do agree. I, I I never really got to the point where I was like digging deep into should that have been a penalty as much as what you said was the consistency thing. Because when I talked to Nathan McKinnon, that was his thing. It gets called every fourth time. It happens at five on five all the time and they never call it. They called it this time. It's so weird. It's so inconsistent. We don't know what what to do and like where to draw the line because there is no line. That's something McCarr said too was 
uh, I need to clear this up with the referees because I don't know. I don't know what the expectation is for this kind of player, whatever, however he worded it. But um, it is funny to kind of look at how how many penalties the Avalanche have had, and hey, their power play their their power play has been strong, but their PK what it was it a run of thirteen straight kills. So yeah, special teams have been going well for the Avalanche despite the discrepancy in calls, which. Again, when you're playing with this kind of a lineup, I don't think you're controlling the play as much as you were when Nachushkin's there and Landeskog's there, and then obviously Kadri and even guys like Rodriguez and Darren Helm are there. Yeah, maybe that's something that unites all hockey fans and uh, you know hockey enthusiasts is everybody's disdain and confusion for the refs. But um, that that's what was interesting, right? You brought up your conversation with Nathan McKinnon after the Vancouver game. And even despite, you know, all the excuses they could have thrown at the refs or how typically upset that room feels after a loss, they didn't seem to be letting it get to them, which I, I was really impressed, right? I mean, usually after a loss, you see Nathan McKinnon sprint out of that dressing room. He was sitting there waiting, uh, ready to have a conversation about the loss. And I just thought, uh, I, I guess I was surprised by that for sure. And just a little bit taken back, but uh, obviously a, pu- a pleasant surprise. Yeah. I kind of made a joke when we were upstairs in the press box, at the Vancouver game with a minute left. I looked at JJ and I was like, I'm going to talk to Nathan McKinnon after this game. I don't usually like to talk to him after losses. Um, and obviously it's only been what seven or eight games that I've covered this year where we can actually approach a player since COVID two and a half years ago. But I, uh, I don't often, you know, approach Nathan McKinnon after a loss. I like to talk to whoever is like the big part of the game and Nathan McKinnon being part of that Kale McCarr play. I said, you know what? Everybody's going to go to Kale. I'm going to go to McKinnon. I made that joke. I'm going to go to McKinnon. I'm going to go to McKinnon. And I'm going to, I'm going to have the courage to talk to him. And JJ's like, well, that's even if he's even still there. And I walked in and he was there and it was this really strange thing where like, he was kind of waiting for it, which doesn't always happen, but he was waiting for it. He was sitting there waiting for someone to approach him. And as soon as I walked up and said and asked him if he had a minute right away, he was like, yeah, shoot, what do you got? And he was very thorough. He gave great responses. But like you said, JJ, like the avalanche are the defending Stanley cup champs. They know how good they are. They know they're missing a guy off each line right now. And Nachushkin, Landeskog, Hellman, Rodriguez, they know they're a good team. That's going to play better when these guys get back. And they know that they're going to battle for the challenge for the Stanley Cup again. I think they're past letting losses in November to teams like Vancouver get to them. I think they're past that. And it's nice to see that because, again, 12 months ago, Nathan McKinnon might feel a little bit different. 24 months ago, for sure, he would have felt different. Now, it's not a big deal. Let's rebound for the next game, which ended up being Dallas, not Nashville. A team that's above us in the standings and a 4-1 to victory. Well, and I also think that it's that was a game that was probably – if they looked at it rationally, they saw they were down Rodriguez. They were down Rantanen for about, I would say like 10 minutes of game time, something like that. And they, at one point were, were, they rolled out a power play unit at one point of Jacob McDonald, Devon Tate, Samuel Gerard, Dryden Hunt, and Martin (laughs) Cout. Martin Cout was taking Uh, a face off to start a power play. And that's no disrespect to Martin Cow, who's perfectly fine on the second unit right now. But if that's your power play, that speaks <laughs> to a, an amount of guys that that you're missing. And and I think that they probably were able to look at it rationally and say, our the goalie didn't have his best night in Franco's. Like Rodriguez got hurt in a way that looked pretty scary. Rantanen got hurt and was out for a bit. They were down a lot of guys. And I, think I think JT blocked a shot and missed a few shifts at some point. He didn't miss any shifts. He just, I think, missed the end of that penalty kill and oh, then okay. the period ended. But yeah, it was That's true. Yeah, everyone was getting banged up that game. I think a fan got hit by a puck in the front row. And <laughs> was hurt at one point. Seriously, like people were waving. Yeah. And like uh, people died. Yeah, it was it was a a game full of of injury for for Colorado. I left and, the building limping as well. But no, I think it was the <laughs> the, the biggest. I think injury was maybe to the ego. I think losing to Spencer Martin that night was the biggest head scratcher to me because I don't find Spencer Martin to uh, be a very good goalie. And, you know, um, he's not the same guy he was six years ago. His It's so weird. His numbers are good again this year. They were good last year. They were good again this year. And I know what you're thinking. Sometimes people improve. It's crazy because like this is the equivalent of like I hate to throw out this name because I know people like to pile on. But could you imagine in like five years, Hunter Miska is like a 930 backup goalie? Like it makes no sense. That's what Spencer Martin was his first stint in the NHL with the Avalanche six years ago. So it's it's kind of wild. But this is the second year in a row. And if you pull up Vancouver's, there is no Vancouver Twitter. But if you like look at what Vancouver fans and media and people are tweeting right now, it's 
let's start Spencer Martin more than Thatcher Demko right now because he's the better goalie. It's it's wild. Not for the whole season, but like just right now, he's the one that's on a heater and Demko's the one that's struggling. So let's play Spencer. And I think they played him again yesterday on that note. So it's wild. Spencer, Spencer's he's he's an improved guy. Oh, and Vancouver, by the way, is is starting to pick it up. They're, yeah, they've been on a little win streak for sure. And and I mean, if they win tonight, which let me pull it up, I believe they're one they're, one with the Sharks right now. No, they're one one with the Sharks. Last I checked, it was one nothing. But they say they win tonight, then I oh Sharks actually just took the lead, so maybe I'm going to be wrong. <laughs> but they're going to be um, they're going to be uh, if they win tonight, they're going to be tied with Calgary. I think. Yeah. With one with one extra game above them, they'll be nine ten and three if they win. Dallas is nine nine and three. Minnesota's ten nine and two. St. Louis eleven ten. Edmonton eleven ten. So they're right there. They're hanging around with all these teams yeah. battling for a wild card spot. So when you look at it, it's, I mean, Bo Horvat's been a name that's um, kind of been thrown out of like, could the Abs take a swing at him? He'll be expensive, but it, the it kind of made me think of last year, how at the beginning of the year, I was like, the Abs should make a run at Joe Pavelski, and then Dallas figured it out and ended up being a pretty good team. I don't know if Vancouver has has that push in them, but they've got some dudes that are playing pretty well. They've got some good players. If Demko kind of figures it out and they get back on track, some of those guys that that Abs fans maybe have been looking at won't be won't be on the market because Vancouver is going to be fighting for a playoff spot. Yeah, and there will be plenty of names that I will predict to be the guys at the Avalanche acquire the death. Similar to you predicting Dryden Hunt scoring his first goal in every shift. Uh, there will be plenty of names that I'll throw out there. Bo Horvat's obviously one of them. Ryan O'Reilly's another. Jonathan Taves is another. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois is another. And it's probably going to be a name that's smaller than all those guys. And, well, and all those guys, the thing is, is, other than Jonathan Taves, all those guys are on teams that yeah. are either in Winnipeg the ain't trading Dubois right now. No, not the way and, they look. Absolutely and do you not. really think that they're gonna? I don't really think that what they're put showing right now is a facade. I think they're no, a pretty so solid team. I think they're a playoff team. Yeah, Rick Bonus has really kind of settled things down a little bit, yeah. which is what they needed, and and they have a good roster. I mean, the last three years it's been how could they not figure this out? And then we're like, all right, Winnipeg isn't very good, and they got a coach that settled things down, and now they're good again. So, um. And obviously, Connor Hellebuck doing what Connor Hellebuck does is is pretty wild because that's a great goalie. Uh, just a quick note before we move on, JJ. So the power play stat that I gave you guys earlier, the Avalanche led the league last year with five minutes and 30 seconds of power play time per game. 15 teams right now have a 530 or more, and the Florida Panthers lead the NHL at 632. So a ton more power play opportunities right now than all of last season. It's pretty crazy. Indeed, indeed. Something to look out for when you're uh, hitting the sports books, right, Arafa? Mm-hmm. There's some power play transition. Points. Power play opportunities from the Avalanche. Of course, it's a transition because Superbook is bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands. And now they'll match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, no matter if that bet wins or loses. So you don't have to be at the stadium this fall or winter. Now, I feel like it's safe to say we're, we're in winter. Uh, so visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Um, well, we're kind of at the quarter mark of the season, so I feel like it's a good time to take a step back and just assess the team as a whole, right? I mean, we kind of typically on this podcast go game by game, um, and just kind of a what have you done for me lately? But if we could uh, wrap up the uh, what they've done so far in one big package, um, that's what we're going to do here. So I'm going to ask you guys a couple little, I guess, um, what do you want to call them? Quirky, gimmicky questions here. Typical radio stuff. Um, but I think th- these will really lead to some good conversations on some different guys on the team. So what I want to start with so far is uh, just who has surprised you on this roster in a positive form right who's giving you good feelings who's really taken the step forward that you expected of them who's maybe uh even gone beyond that i guess Arif, let's go ahead and start with you and, and then peter can hit us I, am i gonna say it or should i say it or do i say it say it <laughs> number 40 alexander georgiev just he's unbelievable guys like what what was the phrase that you used to describe him yesterday peter uh a guy the uh like like in a good way what did i did i say 
he has that dog in him yeah he has that dog that's what it was does he have that dog he has that dog he's a 933 through 13 games his goal saved above expected is through the roof he's one of the better goalies in the nhl right now understandably so not getting a lot of recognition because the avalanche just won the cup let's look at other teams but i think as the season goes on people are going to start to realize that georgiev you know, there is a little bit of an inflation for playing on such a good team, but this isn't Kemper having a 921 on a Stanley Cup team and then, you know, being hung out to dry in Washington. This isn't Grubauer being a Vezina finalist on a, on a Stanley Cup contender and then not getting hung out to dry, but having a poor season in Seattle. I'm going to put that a little bit more on Philip there. Um, this is a guy who's, like I said, he's leading the charge right now. The Avalanche. Obviously, they have McKinnon, they have McCarr, they have Taves, they have Lekkinen, but they're missing a ton of weapons. And some of the weapons that started the season and were strong to start the year have been missing for a portion of it, too. And and uh, the one constant has been in goal. Frankie's had some good games, too, so I'm not taking anything away from him. What if, if you go back to what I was saying earlier about the Avalanche having better goaltending now than they did a year ago, it also helps that Frankie is healthy now compared to what you had to deal with last year until Frankie was ready to rock. Uh, coincidentally against that Nashville game when everybody got COVID. That was his season debut. So to me, it's Georgiev. I didn't know what to expect. I expected another goalie that was going to make some saves. I did not expect this, and, and it's it's really impressive. Yeah, I, I mean, I would echo that Georgiev's definitely the biggest pleasant surprise for the season. I think it's also worth remembering that Kemper had stretches where he was playing at this level last season. Um, the fact oh, that... No, nothing against Kemper. Yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I'm not like October, November comparison so far. Totally. And the, I think the fact that Georgiev is off to such a good start is really encouraging for Colorado um, because it took Kemper and Grubauer, the past two goalies in the system, it took them time to, to adjust and to, to get ready. So, so I think that's a good choice. I'll, um, I don't know if this is necessarily a surprise for me. Cause I, I kind of thought he was going to have a big year, but I think Lekkonen is just kind of picked up where he left off in the playoffs. I mean, Arturi Lekkonen has a nine game point streak. I imagine telling that to yeah. someone in Montreal this time <laughs> last year, like, like that's, that's not up until this point, he wasn't looked at as a player who is a big offensive threat. He was a four checking third line defensive minded, kind of a good grinding player with a great motor. Now he's doing all of those things while also contributing on the score sheet. And I think, that's partially because of the opportunity he has to play more in Colorado. It's partially because he's playing with uh, Nathan McKinnon and Mika Rannan. It's partially because of the system that, that kind of fits his, his game, his high motor. And it's partially because he's a good player and good players generally do well when they're in good situations. So I think, I think he's a, I, I kind of expected him to have kind of a, this level of performance, but I think that it's, he he would maybe fall into that positive surprise category for some people. And I think he's, he's done as much as the abs could have hoped for when they traded for him last year. Yeah. I it's wild. I, I he's, if he's going to give you 25 goals, 40 assists a year as a top six winger, top line winger right now and playing the defensive game, he does. What more could you ask for? And like, he's what making, more, I think four and a half yeah. four and a quarter. Four and a half, four and a half, four four more years, I think, or something. Yeah, that's going to age well. Yeah, that's going to age real well. I mean, look, the Avalanche's decor, we've or not decor, but their top six wing core, I should say, is the like you can't talk about any wingers for them to acquire right now. They're going to play in the top six because they got Ranton and Landeskog, Nichushkin and Lekkinen all locked up, and they're all just phenomenal players playing at like the height of their powers. Obviously, Landeskog hasn't played yet this year, but he probably will be good again when he gets back. Um, and Lekkonen kind of fitting in there that, that spelled the end. I mean, there was already a, you know, kind of thoughts that it was going to be the end, but that spelled the end of the Burakovsky era in Denver was seeing how good this guy was. So that's a great choice. And I think, I think he's, he's primed for 60, 65 points, maybe even 70 this year. Burakovsky, by the way, point per game in Seattle this year. He's been yeah, good. He's been, he's just a perfect fit for that team. It's, it's pretty crazy. What, what opportunity can do for a player. Yeah. I mean, this time last year, you say who may be the biggest surprise negatively. You'd probably say Andre Burakovsky this year for the Seattle Kraken. Who's the biggest surprise positively Andre Burakovsky. So sometimes a change of scenery is all you need, but that brings us to the biggest surprise negatively for the Colorado avalanche. And um, I think a couple of weeks ago, the easy answer was Alex Newhook, but I have a feeling this uh, might be a, a bit uh, different than what we expect here from your guys' responses. Yeah. I don't know. You can if... start this one. 
Yeah, I don't know if there's anyone who's really been like I think the biggest surprise negatively is just the amount of injuries, but even that's not a total surprise given how late last season went and kind of how this team is built with some older guys. I think there have been points where Josh Manson's coming off a really good week. I think sometimes there have been points where he hasn't taken care of the puck at a super high level. I think maybe someone like like him and like Eric Johnson, I think is at points he's been a little inconsistent, but I think has picked it up. Both of them have kind of picked it up lately as the team has kind of settled in. Um, I don't know. I, I think Newhook is kind of getting back into that role of what maybe was expected. I know people wanted him to be the second line center. Um, and I, I just don't know if that is who he was going to be this year as a 21 year old in his second full NHL season. Um, but I think that, that you could say he he's a, I guess a, a negative. Um, but I don't know. No one really like jumps off the page to the fact that like Martin Cout has played 20 NHL games, honestly, is pretty good. And he's, he's been solid for the most part. So well, I think someone's got to play. So you better hope <laughs> yeah. he's solid. Cause you don't got many options to replace him with. No. So, I mean, I, I know that's kind of a cop out of like, and I'm not saying that everyone on this team has been perfect by any means, but I think that Manson and Eric Johnson maybe got off to slow starts, but they've kind of picked it up and same with new hook. Before I say this name and Peter Bob slaps me through the camera, I want to start with a question to preface it. Are we done calling Samuel Gerard a point producing defenseman? Uh, I don't know. I mean, look, the thing with Gerard to me is he is a guy that maybe if he was playing with Makar, like he'd be putting up points, all that stuff. His biggest value is the fact that if he gets the puck in the defensive zone and he has a puck on a stick, he can get it into the offensive zone. Which fits the avalanche's style. Yeah. So he's a perfect fit for this team given that. But the given knowing who the Avalanche have on the roster, and obviously he's going to lose a lot of minutes because of guys like Bowen Byram and Devontae's and Kel McCarr. When you go into a season with him, what is your expectation from a offensive production standpoint? Yeah, I would say no, we haven't finished calling him a point producing defenseman because that's what his skill set is, right? I mean, he's a puck mover. He's he's a, elusive, so he knows how to create space, create lanes. So with that should come more point production. Yeah. But given obviously again, he's he's gonna he's not playing power play he's not playing top power play minutes. He's playing second line power play minutes kind of here and there. If they uh, even see the ice. <laughs> if they even see the ice because the top unit just sees so much of it. And I mean obviously even when they are seeing the ice right now, I'm not gonna blame him for the lack of power play productivity, uh which he has two points on the power play, which honestly I'll say is a boost because he's not playing on the second power play unit with guys like Nachushkin, Rodriguez, or whoever the hell Lekkinen would be left over from the top unit when everyone's healthy. He's playing with what Peter said earlier, Cout and Dryden Hunt and like all these guys that shouldn't be there right now. Um, but I would say that's the one thing, and I'm not bashing his game entirely, but and let's remember, let's remember he's missed six games, but one goal, three assists, four points in 13 games for Sam Gerrard. This is a guy that when I go into a season, like I pencil in in my brain, he's a 35 to 40 point guy. I don't know if he'll ever hit that 4-0 with the Avalanche still having Taves, Byram, and Makar here and all three of them healthy, but 35-ish points should be a good expectation. And maybe he starts to boost it a little bit when the Avalanche get healthy and they can start to use that second power play unit a little bit more because it'll have weapons there with him. Uh, but right now, I would say that's the blemish. It's four points in 13 games for a guy that is such a strong puck mover that it's like you see him do what he does and then you look at the stat page and you're like, how does he not have any points today? So if I'm going to grasp at straws and pick on pick on things for a team that's what, 12, six and one now, uh, missing half of its roster. Uh, that's what I would pick at. That's I, I suppose that's fair. I think that, so he was hurt. He missed a few games. Um, he, he doesn't have points in his last two games, both of which I would say are kind of like, I, I think both of those games were kind of him getting back into the groove. And I actually thought he had a really good game. Um, the other night he had a few good scoring chances, um, if you take four points in 11 games, um, that's 0.36 points per game, which that's is about a pretty good pace. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a 30 or 29.5 point pace. So it's not, I don't know. I, I, I think that maybe you, he's a guy you want 
more from, but you also have to remember of like, he's not, I mean, so 2020 to 2021, when he had that 32 point season, 48 games, Mm -hmm. he was averaging 23 minutes of ice time a game. Yeah. This year he's averaging 19. Um, Even last year when he had 28 and 67, which is right around, I think that's around like 32, 33 point pace, 21 minutes a game. Um, this is what about f- 1920 real quick. If you have that pulled up, he was averaging 21 minutes, 19 okay. seconds a game, which is two minutes more than he is, is this year. The other thing is to, to keep in mind is that he's some of that ice time is also going to penalty killing. Um, he's been killing more penalties if I'm not mistaken, um, which he, he, that wasn't always what he was, what he was doing, um, with Colorado in the past. And this is me just guessing, but I, I would imagine if there was a hypothetical third assist in there, a tertiary assist, if you will, I feel like you'd see uh, him piling on some more points. He just needs to get a little bit more comfortable once that puck is in the offensive zone. But I think as far as facilitating offense and doing his job of moving that puck through the neutral zone, I think I think he's still uh, doing just fine. Yeah, it, it, it hasn't been a great season for him. I don't think that's a bad call, Arif. Um I think that's fair kind of diving into some of the deeper numbers. Um, and maybe it's just, it's a tough spot where he's now like the number four offensive defenseman on a team um, yeah. that, that, and, and that's, that's kind of got to be tough for a guy with his skill set. but I don't think he's drastically underperforming. I think maybe it hurt him to have such a good year or such a good couple seasons so early in his career that now he's maybe been kind of, overtaken um and and that maybe has led to some of the disappointment people have in him and just the amount of hockey he's played like it's still wild to think how young this guy is because when the avalanche traded for him right before that series in ottawa he was 19 years old and he joined the team right away and now he's 24 he's not going to be 25 till the playoffs and he's already at 300 he's past the 350 game mark in the nhl in, in the regular season so um his career has been an interesting one because this is what now his one, two, three, four, five, sixth full season as an NHL defenseman. And he's 24 years old. That's wild. You don't see that often, but I guess yeah. that's the one little thing it's, and you know, maybe it's a lack of ice time. Maybe it's the fact that he's on the third pair. Maybe it's the fact that the avalanche are so banged up, but I'd like to see a little more production from him and we'll see if, if it comes with time. It is funny. Sometimes I look at guys and wonder if they'll, who, who on this team will get to a thousand games. Like, you know, McKinnon will Ranton and, barring any like catastrophic injuries Samuel Gerard's going to get to a thousand NHL games barring catastrophic injury like this is a guy who is 24 and has played 350 he might might get to 1500 he's he also doesn't get hurt often I know he got hurt a little bit this year and last year but guy might hit 13 14 1500 games yeah I mean he's he's got if he wants to play for a long time he's going to play a lot of hockey Alex Newhook's another one that he's probably going to get to. <laughs> Did you know Alex Newhook is, I think he just hit a hundred games or no, he's at 96. Which is uh, crazy. Yeah. As a 21 year old. I just want to throw one more uh, negative surprise in there since it differs from both of you guys. And that's JT Confer. I've been saying for a couple weeks, I mean, we're still stuck at one goal for JT Confer and I don't think his play has been egregiously bad, but I think you want to see more goals from Confer, right? Especially you brought up that he's playing some power play time. He's almost, you know, Arif has said a million times how Arturi Lekkinen's the mini Val. I almost feel like JT Confer's a mini Landeskog and with Landeskog out, JT Confer has a a role to fill and I don't feel like he's been, uh, stepping up to the plate as as much as he needs to this year i would say offensively yeah defensively i mean it's hard to argue with the fact that he's playing with o'connor and cogliano and that's ultimately like that's your new shutdown line that's your new soderberg nieto and calvert line because somebody's got to do the job with everybody hurt right now uh five goals well no not six they took away his goal yesterday god damn it (laughs) uh yeah he's got five goals which is pretty crazy yeah i would say the the offensive production thing with jt it's kind of like sam gerard that's the the one thing that i always talk about is is his lack of productivity or like how it's kind of spiraled downward throughout the last few years but uh, with a team with so many weapons like eventually somebody's not going to put up points. Cause if you expect McKinnon to have a hundred and Randon to have 90 and Landis to have 70 and the to have 60 and Lekkinen to have 60 and Comfort to have 40, you're scoring like 400 goals. So somebody's got to stop producing at some point. 
Um, I, I will say this for, for comfort. One point in his first nine games, seven points in his last 10. Assists? Six assists, one goal in his last 10. Oh, he had an assist in the first nine games. Yeah, I mean, that's what new. That's what it looks like with Newhook, too. Newhook was so yeah. zero, zero, zero. Even Evan Rodriguez was like zeros across the board for his first four or five games and then kind of picked it up. But, um, yeah, the the one goal thing is really interesting given now. That is, a, I didn't realize he, I didn't realize he only had one goal. Yeah, I think um, Cogliano, well, Cogliano's at three now because he had that first goal of the season, then he went a long stretch, then he scored again, and then he scored last night. He got the <laughs> O'Connor goal. So if that's what you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, Comfort that was a, had 18 goals last year. That's kind of, yeah, nuts. pretty wild, right? And he's on so, pace yeah. for four. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a little bit of a regression. So, yeah, I feel that. I do definitely feel that with Comfort, and it's kind of the thing that I've always. Like Gerard, it's always a thing that I've looked at is the the offensive productivity. You want to see it improve. Yeah, but there's also what percent of um, in his career, guess what percent, according to Hockey Reference, guess what percent of the time he started in the offensive zone? Oh, 22%. 44 for his career. This Half. year it's this year it's 32. Yeah. The 32 this year doesn't surprise me. Like all. that line is, they're really kind of relying on them being that checking. Defense what did, line. what did Jared say yesterday? He said, I'm trying to get the top line now in offensive zone draws as much as I can, because somebody's got to score goals. And this is when we're going to do it. Like Jared knows very well what the deal is right now. And it's, he does not got a lot of offensive weapons. I mean, he's been very forward about that. I still love when JJ asked him about the second power play unit. He's like, yeah, like it's bad right now. Pretty much is what he was saying is he knows that. So if McKinnon's playing all the offensive zone draws, I don't think you're trotting new hook out there or Jason Megner, whoever the hell's centering those third and fourth lines now without Rodriguez out in the defensive zone, it's comfort centering Cogliano and O'Connor that's doing it. So uh, that that's definitely a good point as well. Yeah. I think he's been okay. I, I wouldn't say he's been, I would, I would say he's been about what he is as a player. Are I we think. talking regular? Okay. Or are we talking when Jared says somebody's, okay, <laughs> I'm saying regular, means- <laughs> okay. like he's about his level. Maybe he's been a little worse at times. Maybe he's been a little better, but I, I've always liked JT Comfort's game more than some people, I think. Cause I do think he brings a lot defensively. I wish he, he showed off in that he's got a good shot when he has like a wrist shot opportunity. He's got a good shot. Um, and I, I wish he was able to find chances to show that off at points more. Yeah. I mean, this team went out of their way to acquire a top four defenseman. They went out of their way to replace their top six winger and Burakovsky who had 60 something points last year. They've done a lot of things, but that third line center spot, they've always left it with JT and it's for a reason. He's got a role. He plays it well, but there's a little more offense to be desired. And I think he'll pick it up once, once the lines kind of even out a little bit throwback to, he went on a, let me look at the numbers. He went on a heater in the playoffs. It was kind of an unheralded heater, but from the end of the St. Louis series, he had, so he had two goals in game six against St. Louis, two goals in game one against Edmonton. And then he had the game winning goal in game three against Edmonton. So he had four goal or five goals in four games. And then he had, the assist on the overtime winner against Tampa in game one. And then he didn't have a point the rest of the playoffs, but I oh, yeah, the Burkowski goal. Well, yeah, and yeah. I remember at trade deadline, we were kind of saying, Oh, I think JT Comfort would be a great piece to move. And then come playoff time, we were all, Oh wow. Thank goodness. They didn't move JT Comfort. So he was so good against. He's kind of a big game player. Like he's yeah, a, he's, he he's a big game player. I, I, I like his game. That game six against St. Louis, I gained a lot of respect for a player that I already liked in that game. And then yeah. obviously he picked it up against Edmonton even more in the Stanley Cup final. And he played second line center for a little bit of a while. Like Nazem Kadri missed what three or four games in a row. If you include the one that he got injured, it was games three, four, one, two, three. So he missed five games and and JT, somebody had to hold the fort down as a second line center, and it was Comfer. Yeah. That brings me to my next question, guys. I think there's been about 10, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but let's go with best minor league call-up. Has to have played at least an AHL game this year and a, an Avalanche game as well. Who who stepped up uh, when their name was called? You start, Peter. Uh, this is uh, – let me let me look at the Avs uh, <laughs> games <laughs> so played. I, uh, 
I kind of think it's it, he hasn't been unreal. He hasn't been great. But Martin Kaut, this is a guy who, I mean, look, we don't have a ton of options to, to go <laughs> here. But but Martin Kaut is a guy who kind of, it's it's been a struggle for him to really kind of find a, a role in the NHL. And he has been, I would say, fine since he's since he's been up this year. 16 games, one goal, two assists, nothing crazy. But I also don't feel like he's been, I don't think he's been bad either. And I think that they've kind of needed guys to just stabilize. And he's been kind of a stabilizer. He's been on the ice for more scoring chances than he's, for when the, the abs have more scoring chances on when he's on the ice than they've allowed. Um, they have a few more high danger chances against than they've allowed according to natural stat trick. But I think he's been fine. And of all the AHL call-ups, I think fine is sometimes all you can ask for. Jason Megna, Anton Bleed, Mikhail Maltsev, Sampo Ranta. Let's throw Lucas Sedlak in there. Shane Bowers. I know he played 14 seconds. And Oscar Olison have all combined for a grand total of zero points. And I know yeah. Olison played one game. Bowers played like two shifts. Sedlak was gone after three games. Uh, and then you have Andreas Engeland, who had an assist. Ben Myers, if we want to include him as one of those guys, he had a goal in well, three games. Well, he started the – he wasn't really yeah. called because he exactly, started Exactly, yeah. The he started the year, which is why he's not really included, but kind of-ish. I don't know what he is at this point. I think he's injured anyway. But it's Martin Kaut for that reason. I mean, the only guy – Martin Kelt's the only one that's played more than 10 minutes per night at 10.05. All the other guys were below, uh, except for Andreas Englund as a defenseman. And, you know, when the Avalanche had Byron and Gerard out, he played a grand total of 11.23 per game. But to me, it is Martin Kelt. It's, it's a guy that's really like, this guy's going into every game thinking like, God damn it, I got to go out there and I got to do something because when these guys get healthy, I'm out of here and people are going to forget about me real quick. So like you said, he struggled to find a role. I'm glad he's finally getting games in, collecting those NHL paychecks, but uh, he's he's far and away the best one of those of that bunch, which goes to show again how many of those guys have combined for zero points, uh, just how loaded this team is at the top of the lineup to, to carry them in this way. Yeah, I mean, there were spots up for grabs that people could take going into the year. Maltev couldn't grab a spot. There yeah. was a spot there for him to take. Um, and Tom Sampo bleed. Ranta. Yeah. Bleed. Same, same thing. And, and Cal say what you will about him. He's, he's grabbed a spot and yeah, it might not be for, for ever when this team gets healthy, but there are worse players to have around. Also speaking of Jason Magna, he's played 45 games with the abs, which is almost as many as he has played for any other team. Um, and he, <laughs> and he has zero goals in those 45 games. How many assists? One, two, <laughs> five. Oh, that's more than I thought, honestly. Yeah. He, uh, but you know, and to Magna's credit, he kind of is what he is. He just goes out there and he's is, just a guy. He's, he's just, a guy. And like, yeah. that's the, honestly, the abs kind of at this point have just needed guys to be yeah. guys like yeah. to I, not surrender too many chances against when the yeah. fourth line's out there. When you're playing really quick, when you're playing six or seven minutes a night, you'd much rather have Megna out there than Sampo Ranta, who's not going to give you much with six, seven minutes, or even Martin Cow. Like those are guys that need to play offensive roles. Megna will, you know, has a better chance of not letting the other team score. It's it, kind of what you guys are talking about. The other day, I was thinking about Mikhail Maltsev, right? I mean, with how much we've been watching the New Jersey Devils and seeing everything that we're putting, they are putting together. And you see Ryan Graves, and you're like, oh yeah, Mikhail Maltsev was part of that trade, and. Ever since Mikhail Maltsev came to Colorado, he's really done nothing as well. I mean, 23 games, zero goals, zero assists. So that's another guy you wish would do a little bit more. We looked at him like he was going to be the undisputed fourth-line center of this team heading into last season after that Grace trade. It was, wow, the Avalanche got a second-round draft pick and a guy who's going to play the fourth-line center spot and be you know, kind of a permanent in that role. And you know, he's not, he's not been able to do much. But they got cap space and a second round draft pick, which yeah, was yeah, yeah. The trade you you do it. Look, they want a cup. Like you do that, and trade and they were going to lose Graves to Seattle. Yeah, you do that trade all day, and and you you traded Graves, you got something back for him, and then you unloaded Donskoy's contract instead. Which again, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, Peter, but given what that team and their analytics department, I don't know how the hell you take Donskoy over Comfer given the center position and the two way game he plays. But you know. That's well, all. Donskoy was coming off. Uh, how many? Yeah, Look, hindsight. Comfort was coming off. Comfort was year. garbage. Yeah, I know. And, so and, yeah, 
Yeah, but still pretty crazy. Uh, regardless, yeah, it's it's Martin Kaut to answer that question. All right, guys, time to tell you about our buddies over at Total Beverage, right? We're starting to get long here. It's t- time to wind down the podcast a little bit. What better way to wind down than with a little bit of uh, alcohol, a little bit adult beverage, right? Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton. Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know they deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available, and did you know – They do online wine education classes. If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Um, That brings us, I guess, let's just hop into World Cup talk, right, Arif? I mean, uh, I know Peter's. Luckily, he's been following the World Cup as well. I would hate to have him on the show, and suddenly he just gets boxed out for the last five, ten minutes of the show. But uh, we wanted to do a little bit something unique for this episode, right? Um, not just simply covering the World Cup and all the games that were and their results, but maybe uh, compare it to the uh, NHL, right? I mean, it's fun seeing Team Canada in the World Cup, but you can't help but throw hockey jokes at them, right? Like, oh, man, their, their forechecks looking real good today. Hopefully they can uh, – <laughs> Do make some noise in the World Cup, or man, their their Corsi Four is looking nice. So of course we got to draw the parallel the other yeah, way. Today, really quickly, I got a text message that Croatia is making Kale McCarr and this defense look shitty. There you go. So. Exactly. It's inevitable. It's it's hard for us hockey people to not see Team Canada out there and just start going into hockey mode. But um, that being said, let's stick into hockey mode, right? Let's draw some parallels of World Cup teams, what nation teams are most like NHL teams. Now, Eric, I know you have a couple prepared, so shoot them off while, you know, maybe me and Peter think of some of our own. Yeah, uh, yeah so, I have one after Eric gives sweet. rattles off a couple. I got, I got a couple for you. The first one is, and, you know, I don't want to say they're both my teams because I'm not a hockey fan, reporter, but the Avalanche are France. And it's simply for two reasons, or three reasons that come to mind for me. Number one, defending champs, going in for a repeat. That's a simple one. Number two, when when Kylian Mbappe has that ball and starts to run and has that explosiveness, it's very Nathan McKinnon-like. And number three, injuries aside, well, for both teams, injuries aside, France is so deep that they don't need one of the stud goalies in the NHL to win a World Cup. Stick in a guy like Hugo Lloris or Philip Grubauer and you'll, you'll contend. You're good. You're good. So that's that's the first one for me is France is the avalanche with Mbappe McKinnon, with Hugo Lloris being that just guy in net that can make you some saves. And the defending champs going in with a ton of injuries and still having a chance to repeat as champs. Uh, I'll go. So I, I worked in, in Belgium for a summer. I worked in Brussels and um, I was I, I went to a, a Belgian national team game while I was there and saw all of them play and have been a fan since this was i think 2017 so before their their world cup run in 2018 where they got third which was exciting but they were probably the second best team but they had to play france in the semis yeah that was the Um, final yeah i uh but i i've been since you posed this exercise i've been trying to think of a a good a good example or a good comp for my my belgian red devils and i i think the the team that comes to mind is the washington capitals um, Ooh. I'm also, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm not feeling super happy about Belgium right now. I'm very sad after they, they lost this morning. They still can move on if they can beat Croatia. Um, but I'm, we're, we're not, we're down bad right now over in, uh, over here. But I, I think that <laughs> the, the comp for Washington is that this is a team that has had success before, has had kind of their glory days, which obviously the Caps won a cup, but Belgium, Maybe they didn't win a, an international title, but they they got third, which is highest in their country's history. They've had some really big moments, star players, and now you're kind of seeing the them age and they're a little slower. They're banged up. They're they're just not they're not they're not who they used to be. And it's hard. It's like watching your parents get old. Like it's it's <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things. But but that's uh that's that's Belgium, and I think that the Caps are in a similar spot. That's a good comparison. I like it. Well, while we're all doing our favorite teams, I'll go ahead and do mine and I'll do Spain. And I think they're most compared to the New Jersey Devils, right? A team that was great uh, back in the day, maybe a little bit more youthful and kind of coming out and surprising everybody. Uh, We 
thought uh, Spain could be decent. I, I don't know if we thought New Jersey was going to be decent coming into the season, but they came out and, and kind of proved themselves. And I think the future is a lot brighter than the present, but the present seems to be uh, something that fans are, are willing to swallow. Uh, really quick before I get into my next one, uh, the one that I consider with Belgium is the San Jose Sharks because they didn't. Uh, don't, they, yeah. don't, yeah, don't. Do <laughs> they got close a few times, but didn't. And now they're if like, they oh. had if they had a World Cup every single year, they would have won. Yeah, but uh. they don't. <laughs> the uh, the other one for me is um, the England national team. It's coming home. Is the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I disagree, but give your reasoning. But let me give my reasoning why. Um, England is full of all these young stud players, a lot of offensive talent, a lot of exciting players like the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, England wants to and claims to always be the center of the soccer world like the Toronto Maple Leafs are with hockey, and they've got nothing to show for it. And I know England has made it past the first round, past the round of 16, They've made some finals, some final fours, things like that. Um, but the comparison of that young upstart team that is like the center of its sports universe that just hasn't been able to get the job done. And hey, maybe they will this year. Maybe Toronto will as well. But that's my comparison. Uh, yeah, my rebuttal is pretty simple. And that's that England was second at the Euros where in penalty kicks against Italy. So they were, they were very, very close to winning. Like the Leafs haven't sniffed the cup finals. They haven't, haven't made it out of the first round. England made it to um, the, the final four in 2018. Um, and they, they were in the third place game. They obviously got beat by the Belgians <laughs> who, who, who had the highest country in that. Or highest where, where Peter has a passport. So yeah, <laughs> no passport, just a expired student ID from the university of, <laughs> Bell, what I I forget what it was called, um, but I uh, yeah I I don't know if I if I see England as as uh, as as the Leafs just because they've had a lot of they've been one of the more successful national teams in the last six years. I got one more as I sit here and I see the Seattle Kraken beat the Ducks. And we've all been surprised by what the Seattle Kraken are doing, right? I feel like they are a good comparison for the U.S. Some guys that we we didn't expect Mm. to come in and do anything, have some potential, probably won't do anything still when it's all said and done. But they're fun to watch. They're exciting to cheer for. And, uh, yeah, you just just love to see a different team in the mix. Might make the playoffs. Like, the U.S. might make the (laughs) – should the, the u.s 16. should yeah the u.s should yeah. make the round of 16 uh they just gotta win right they gotta beat iran and they're in if they tie or lose it's going home time uh the last one for me is brazil is the detroit red wings because my entire childhood all they did was win and then they became a little irrelevant not to the point of what the red wings are obviously we're grasping at straws here but they got blown out by Germany in their home in 2014 and 2018. They lost to Belgium, I think in the round of eight. Um, but simply from a standpoint a of, game. yeah, simply from a standpoint of when I was a kid, Brazil won everything. And then as a teenager and going into my twenties, Brazil lost everything. And now Brazil is kind of back to being young and exciting and, and good again. Not the Red Wings are nowhere close to that level, but that that's like the grasping at straws comparison that I can make there. There you go. And I don't. Th- I don't think Peter or JJ agree with that one. But it's I think we're both. No, trying well, to think I of the think. Last one. Well, I, I think that I, I don't like. I see your point with Brazil. I just think that they're way better than the Red. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Brazil could yeah. win this tournament, and they were, and they were a better irrelevant team in twenty ten and twenty fourteen than the Red Wings were the last five or six years as a lottery team for sure. Um, who's a good team in the World Cup that has just an excellent goalie standing on his head? Hmm. Who's Germany's goalie these days? Still Neuer. He's still good, right? Yeah. He hasn't been standing on his head, though. Whoever that goalie is, and if if Mexico found a way to win their last game, I would have said probably them. But whoever that is, it's the Winnipeg Jets. If we can figure out who that is, they're the Winnipeg Jets because Hunter Hellebuck's a beast. And God, I love Mexico's goalie. I think Mexico's more comparable to the Philadelphia Flyers right now, though. Yeah, that's a good one. Mimo Ochoa is Carter Hart out there (laughs) busting his ass off while no one else is doing anything. (laughs) <laughs> all right well that was a fun little ending to the show um 
we're running long, so time to wrap it up. So I hope everybody has a good week here and uh, starts their week off right with a good podcast. I guess any closing thoughts from uh, either of you two before we wrap up? I'm good. I'm all good. Uh, Peter, you going on the road soon? No, I'm not on this trip. And then I have a, a wedding and some stuff uh, for the next, I think, the next road game. So I'll be – I uh, not my wedding, to clarify. Uh, <laughs> I'm still still open if anyone's listening. Um, and then, <laughs> But, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think I'm off through the rest of this calendar year in terms of long road trips, and then I'll, I'll get back on the road in early 2023. Saddle up. We're going into a really fun December. I keep forgetting the Avalanche have Monday off too. Uh, and then they play Tuesday and then Buffalo, Boston, and Philly to follow. So no closing thoughts. Just excited for more hockey and seeing who can get hurt or sorry, who can get healthy rather than getting hurt coming up in December. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about December since uh, the schedules first came out. I'm excited to get into it and get this rhythm this is, in. And I, this is usually when the Avalanche's goalie plays his best. So expecting a 960 and nothing less out of Georgia here. Right, right. Well, awesome. Thanks for hanging out with us this uh, edition of the episode, our 200th edition. Don't forget about that. So here's to That's 200 wild. more. Thanks. Uh, it's Tara. been, uh, pull up this number really quick. I have to be around 1200 then at that point. If yeah. you and I have done two, well, I mean, the only ones that matter are the ones you do with me, though. Uh, the it's been, one. I'll give that to you, <laughs> 1089 days since our first episode, JJ. And, of the 200, the last 100 have come – sorry, the last 97, almost 100, have come in the last 365 days. So we're ramping this baby up. We got Peter on board now. We're here three times a week. The first took hundred. The first 200 took 1,089 days. The next 200 are going to take nothing remotely close to that long. So I'm excited. Right on. So, yeah, don't forget about our awesome friends at Superbook Sports and Total Beverage for hanging out with us and still here 200 episodes later. So uh, thanks for – joining us for this episode as always if you made it this far in the podcast bless your pretty little heart let's make hockey for everyone and we out you